listening to Superpower Curiosity with Dr. Richard Gillette, and I'm Molly Ruth, producer for the podcast. In Season 1 of Superpower Curiosity, we're delving into how to get beyond divisiveness and why we feel great when we do. To read all about this, check out Richard's recent book, It's a Frickin' Mess, How to Thrive in Divisive Times. This is a special episode of Superpower Curiosity featuring a discussion between Richard and a very special guest. Here's Richard. Thank you, Molly. And now I'd like to introduce our guest for today's podcast, Patty Holland, Assistant Professor of the Practice of Behavioral and Social Sciences in the Mindfulness Center at Brown University School of Public Health. Patty is an expert on mindfulness, the ability to accept ourselves through focusing without judgment on the present moment. I'm sure Patty will have more to say about what mindfulness is later. Because of her expertise, Patty is a teacher's teacher. She trains teachers in mindfulness. One of the things that fascinates me about Patty, about Patty's work, is that she takes the practice of mindfulness, which is an ancient pedigree of thousands of years, and applies modern scientific method to show that mindfulness really does work. Statistically, it works. Patty has shown that mindfulness works for stress reduction, it works as an effective psychotherapeutic tool. And it works to cultivate the habits that promote health and well-being. She has taught these methods to students and folks of all ages, and she has helped countless people achieve a greater contentment in their lives. So... Welcome, Patty, to the Curiosity Room. Oh, thank How you, you Richard. Oh, I'm great. Thank you, Richard. It's great to be here with you. Yeah. Cool. Well, Patty, I'm very interested in the subject of mindfulness, and I'm also aware that it's helped an enormous number of people. So let's start by looking at what it is. Could you say, Patty, in a few sentences, what mindfulness is? Sure, yeah. So really very simply put, mindfulness is just present moment awareness, right? And a, a common operational definition that comes from John Kabat-Zinn, who created the Mindfulness-Based Stress Reduction Program, MBSR, which is where a lot of the research that we're seeing in mindfulness stems from. He created this program over 40 years ago. So he offers this operational definition of mindfulness is the awareness that arises when we pay attention in a particular way, on purpose, in the present moment, non-judgmentally. And then in the courses that we teach at the Mindfulness Center at Brown, these evidence-based courses, mindfulness-based stress reduction, mindfulness-based cognitive therapy, among other things, we train individuals in a variety of mindfulness practices, and then we unpack that definition because there's a lot to unpack there. 
All right, so let me uh, let me ask you a question. Maybe this will help with the unpacking. So, uh, what is the point of focusing on present awareness? How, yeah. does, how, how does it help people? How does it make people happier, or etc.? Yeah, it's a great question because a lot of people are like, "Why would I want to even be focused on the present moment?" The present exactly. Moment. Why would I want to do that? <laughs> <laughs> it's like chaotic. It's confusing. I don't know. Right. So, in a very real way, the present moment is actually all we have. Okay. Whether whether we like it or not, our life is occurring right now in this moment. And what we come to discover is that very often through the just the nature of the mind and the brain and our conditioning, we're often thinking about either something that happened in the past or something that might yeah. be coming up in the future or just just all kinds of stuff that we've taken in through all of our senses. And we're not present to what's actually unfolding and present here in the moment. So it's only in this moment when we recognize what's really going on within us, outside of us, that we really have the capacity to respond in a way that perhaps is more creative, more skillful, and then certainly, um, leads to greater, can lead to greater happiness. So um, is, is part of mindfulness or how much of, of mindfulness is uh, acceptance of yourself as you are now, uh, acceptance of what is happening around you in your relationship, in your family, and in, in the world? How, how much, how important is acceptance? Yeah. Yeah, so this is a really interesting term, acceptance, because a lot of people have uh, reactions to this as well. So uh, Dr. Shauna Shapiro talks about three aspects of mindfulness, intention, attention, and attitude, very aligned with um, John Kabat-Zinn's definition. So intention is this purposefulness. Why are we paying attention? Attention is what we're doing. We're training our attention to be in the present moment. And then attitude how we pay attention is really important. So when, I'll speak for myself, when we talk about acceptance, some people will hear that and interpret that to mean, oh, this is just the way it is. And you know, I just have to accept all of the things that feel unjust or unequal or not right. Um, right. But that's not what we mean. What we mean by acceptance, I, I tend to use the term acknowledge or allow more than acceptance. Uh, it's right. that it's acknowledging what's actually going on. I may not like that I'm scared and angry, but I already am scared and angry. Okay, it's already here. Yeah. Well, let me just say for a moment. I, 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 I really like what you just said because that difference between acknowledgement and acceptance, I, I think is so valuable because I, acceptance is confusing. Um, yeah. Uh, because, yeah, I also have heard people say things like, well, does accepting myself as I am now mean that I will never change or <laughs> that I don't need to change, that I can continue to be whatever I am? Yeah. And, and similarly, people ask with acceptance that, you know, uh, does this mean that, um, uh, does accepting the world uh, mean I don't have to bother to make anything better? So, right. so yes, whereas acknowledgement does uh, get us over that uh, that confusion. So yeah. I, I do like the word acknowledgement. Thank you for that. Yeah. 
It also allows us to see clearly what's going on, right? So we're, we're allowing or acknowledging what's actually here. And from this place of greater clarity, now we can exercise discernment about, well, what's called for now? What's called for in terms of how I want to be, how I want to respond, and what action I might want to take? Right. I'm just, I'm, yes, I'm just, I'm just thinking that if, if something happens that we don't like and we acknowledge it um, and uh, accept it in the sense of, not accept it in the sense of um, I don't have to care and I can just be a lazy slob, but, right, but, right, right. but, but, but accept it in the sense of um, uh, accepting that this is happening, that I have these feelings about what is happening. And I'm thinking that if we don't acknowledge it and don't accept it, then we have a reaction to what's happening uh, without being aware of it. And often that reaction might be fear or anger. And then we might do things out of that fear or anger, which is not really in our own interest. Right, right. There's this formula that sometimes people use, pain plus resistance equals suffering. Mm-hmm. I like it. Yeah. So when we are resisting what's actually present, pushing it yeah. away, no, I don't want to acknowledge it. It can't be like this. No, no, no. However that, however the resistance manifests and unfolds, that's creating a lot of distress. There's a, a teacher, Vijamela Birch, who, um, works with pain, mindfulness and breath and pain. And I saw her um, give this talk one time and she did something that I really liked is, that relates to this. So we're audio, so, pe so people can't see this, but so just imagine me sitting here and let's say the reality is I'm experiencing pain and I'll start with physical pain. I used to have migraines. So let's say I'm experiencing a migraine. So that's right. real, that's what's happening right now, physiologically in my body. And so then what starts to happen is I don't want it to be happening because it's ruining my day and it makes me feel miserable. So then I start piling on like pillows. Oh, I don't want this to happen. Oh, this is really horrible. Oh, I'm never going to be, you know, and I just start layering on with all of my thoughts and reactions. To it. So then we're weighted down by all of that. So right. mindfulness, when we're paying attention to our present moment experience, we have the opportunity to be like, oh, this thought, and maybe drop it. Oh, this thought. So the pain is still there. But now I have the opportunity maybe to relate to and manage the pain in a more skillful way. Yes. Well, I, I, I can so relate to this. Um, I, I've seen it in um, so many times when working with clients, but also just to give a personal example, um, one after my sister died, this is many decades ago, mm -hmm. uh, I was um, grieving about this in, in, in a group. And I was, before doing that, I was aware of the pain because I was, I was resisting the grief. Yeah. And when I fully went into the grief and, and was, um, and I remember saying things like, you know, why did you have to go? Why, why did you leave me? You know, and, and yeah. just, uh, half in rage and half in sadness and half, and, 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 and also all, and in love too, you know, all, all yeah. those things at once. Yeah. You know? And um, the amazing thing was that I was aware that 
in that moment of expression, it was not, I was not suffering. Mm. And, and um, you know, there was a group of about 20 people. They were all crying and, and, you know, and I was crying. Yeah. <laughs> it, was, it, it was actually very beautiful. Yeah. And it was not suffering because the, the feeling and the acceptance was fully there. And so it was such a powerful example to, to me. Yeah. So many times. So I, but I hadn't actually heard that particular formula, which uh, I think is awesome. Yeah. Um, pain, it's, the, it's the resistance with the pain that creates suffering. Yeah. Richard, what you just shared is so beautiful. And so I'm really curious because you had said in that moment, I was aware that I was not suffering. What were you aware of in that moment? Um, I was... Uh, I was in the present moment. I mean, <laughs> I really was. I was in the moment of, of express, expressing all these feelings, you know, and and uh, because I wasn't resisting them, I was I was open to whatever came up. And I, yeah. I remember in the middle of it, um, someone said something funny, and and I was laughing, and then I was back crying, you know. And it was it was just everything was just moving because yes. it was. Um, yeah, I was. I mean, I hadn't thought of it, put it in these terms, but but I was just there in the moment. Yeah, and there was and there was no resistance. Right, and you're describing so beautifully what can happen when we're present to our moment to moment experience. Right, so we can see yeah. that there's this ebb and flow of emotions. We can see that there's this, you know, everything in our experience. There's this constant arising and lingering, shifting and changing, dissolving, giving way to something else, right? So we can see this, and there's, and there's movement. And then you also describe what can happen, which is like a broader perspective. So not just so focus on the pain and grief of losing your sister, but also realizing that joy and laughing can coexist in that experience. Or yes. shortly thereafter. Yes, uh, uh, yes, and I'm going to add to that that also, the um, in this process of resisting the grief, which by the way I did for ten years. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and, uh, but in the process of resisting the grief, then I was not open to the joy. I was not open to the laughter. I was not even open, really, to the love for my sister. Yeah, uh, not really open to it, you know. Um, but. In that moment, I was open to all of it. Exactly. Yeah. Everything flowed. Everything moved. You know. Yeah, and you. Yeah, and you. You also just said something that I think is really important that mindfulness can support us with. When you said, you know, you you were resistant for ten years, right? Mm -hmm. and so that's so true. It's natural that we don't want to face or be with pain, and yes. that right we. We are naturally aversive to pain and we gravitate towards pleasure. And then when something's satisfying and pleasurable, we want that to stick around. And then we get disappointed when it leaves. There's all these ways that we relate to our experience. And so this is where attitude when we practice comes into play. So can we then bring kindness, kindness and friendliness to our exploration of our experience? Can we bring compassion, self-compassion to our experience? And when we do this, one, we're able to open to both the, the beauty and the joy within, but also maybe the, the aspects of ourselves and our existence and our lives that we don't want to face. But we recognize that, oh, just like everyone else, right? We can start to see our shared humanity. Yes. Well, one, one of the uh, 
difficulties, I guess, and, and certainly I, I can relate to this, is that when we are in uh, the period of resistance, as so in this example, as I was for 10 years, um, I didn't know I was. Yeah. It was so unconscious, you know, so I, I, it wasn't like, I don't want to go out of that pain. I, I didn't, even, I wasn't even aware of the pain, you know. Right, right. So um, it was so unconscious, you know. Yeah, yeah. So um, again, so so going back to, to mindfulness, how, how would the practice of mindfulness help in such a situation? If, if someone is resisting something, but they don't know they're resisting it, so they don't even know that they need to go there, um, any, any thought? I'd be interested in your thoughts on Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, it's so interesting. Like as I as we teach these programs, right, and as mindfulness moves into um, health and behavioral health, you know, there's the tendency to drop mindfulness and awarenesses as an intervention, and I don't think it's quite that quite that simple, um, right? Right. But so. One, it's meeting ourselves where we're at. One of the things we come to discover when we practice mindfulness is like we are just like covered in layers and layers of conditioning. No fault of our own. This is just who we are as biological beings, right? Everything we've experienced from our past, from our families, from our cultures, from our community, we're yeah. seeing everything through those lenses. So we're, we're very conditioned and we're very blind to a lot of what's going on. And so this too can give rise to compassion. It's like, can we just cut ourselves some slack? Right. Right. right? And so That's then right. when we, yeah. when we practice mindfulness, we start to touch in what our, what our moment to moment experiences. And, and when we do this with friendliness and kind curiosity towards our experience, we can make space for turning towards that, which on some deep level, we may be aware of but we're not yet ready to look at or to be with. Well, you just uh, um, remind me of something because compassion for our conditioning, maybe that's extremely helpful on the political front. So in, in the, my last podcast episode, I read from my book on, on the subject, uh, Protect Yourself from Divisive Influences in Party Politics. And I got fascinated by this subject because I noticed that I was pretty affected myself uh, by party politics. There were times when I'd see something on TV that was upsetting or made me angry. And I'd, and I'd wake up in the middle of the night with a burning question in my mind, uh, like, how can these people do that? How can they sleep at night? Right. <laughs> And meanwhile, right. right, I know this. And well. meanwhile, I couldn't sleep because I was angrily questioning, <laughs> "How can they sleep at night?" Right. right. So, uh, uh, how can mindfulness help in those situations? And maybe you've already just given me the clue to that, which is that if I have compassion uh, for the conditioning, the incredible amount of conditioning that that we have, then maybe that's helpful. And maybe you have some other things to to add to that. What are your thoughts? Yeah. Yeah, it's tough. This is a this is this is tough because so and I'll speak for myself personally. So how mindfulness has been helpful for me navigating these last number of years yeah. um, is really um, allowing me to 
reconnect with what's most important to me. And really, like, I want to live harmoniously as best I can. I want to support and uplift. And I also want to act and contribute in ways that bring forth greater um, equality and justice and fairness. And then there's, and then there's the world that we live in, right? So one, I first need to tap into when I'm getting mired and caught up in wanting, like, I'm right, they're wrong. Like you talk about othering in your book, right? So then, so then it's like, oh, right, right. I'm want, I'm listening from, and I'm acting from, and I'm speaking from this place of, but you even just said it, how can they be like this coming from this place of I'm right and they're wrong. Right. And then when I wake up in the middle of the night and I experience that, I then turn my attention to my body and I am literally tied in knots. And my mind is racing, racing, and I can't get back to sleep. And my health was affected. So first and foremost, I don't want to feel like that. And I can see the direct correlation between thinking patterns and behaviors and what's happening in my body. Yes. So I want to sort all of that out for myself. And as I start to tend to myself, I soften. Yeah. And I'm like, other people have their perspective. I don't have to agree with it. Right. But I can acknowledge that. I, well, and maybe this is just for me, just a belief that like me, they too are scared and confused. Right. And feeling like what they're believing and what their conditioning is and what they've been exposed to is what might be best. Let, let me just go back to uh, something that you said earlier, uh, just a little bit earlier, which is because I, I very much uh, agree with this because I, and I do this as well, that, it, that if I'm worried about something, lying in bed worrying about something and I feel the tension in my body, first of all, I need the, the, the present awareness to be aware of the tension. Yes. Because tension yeah. also is unconscious. So, right. so just having that awareness is helpful. And then one of the things that I do is, is I really focus on um, relaxing my body muscle by muscle. And I focus on breathing. And, and I guess that's the way of taking me into the present moment because I'm yeah. aware then of, of relaxing my body. And, and I'm aware of, you know, focusing on breathing. And then, you know, in the middle of focusing on breathing, some thought will come up, you know, an angry thought or a worried thought. And, 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 and I can completely get distracted by that. And yeah. obviously that, that isn't the present moment. That is something that happened in the past or that I'm worried about in the future. And then I have to say to myself, okay, okay, Richard, wait, wait a minute. Breathing, <laughs> focus on your breathing. Focus on your uh, on, on your body and, and your relaxation and and it's 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 very it, it definitely works. I mean, I might I might have that that ding dong between the tension and the and the thought, and it's very clear to me that the the thoughts about other people and what they do um, are causing discomfort in in my body and stopping me from sleeping. And, and that if I deal with that and focus on, on where I am now and, and the breath, uh, it, I go to sleep again. It, it's, yeah. it is amazing. Yeah. And, and as you're speaking, so this brings me back to our earlier 
conversation around acknowledging what is. So what we can discover and what I've discovered is when I'm engaged in worry thinking or even like angry fantasies, like how can they do this? They said this, I said this, and I start to like imagine how I might stand up to somebody and make my case and whatever it is. We've all had these kind of like conversations, right? Yeah. So one, I've come to realize that- Just to say, we're we're all nodding here. Molly, we're nodding. Yeah, yeah, we recognize that. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) Sorry. Right. So one, it's helpful to know the brain doesn't necessarily discriminate between what's real and what's being imagined. So when I'm engaging in those angry conversations in my head, my body is going along for the ride and I have activated the stress response. And so stress hormones are coursing through my body. And so now I'm putting my health at risk if I continue to do that. But as I get curious and stay with this experience, what I've come to discover is, particularly for me when I get angry and righteous, is if I see that and I see the reaction, I see this intimate connection between thoughts and emotions and body sensations. If I start to tease these apart and I stay with my experience, I can drop into what's really going on for me. And often I'm terrified and I'm confused and I don't know what to do when I'm feeling helpless and scared and confused. And when I get angry, that momentarily makes me feel better, like I'm doing something. But when I've paid attention to that, I'm actually not doing anything productive or healthy at all. Yes. Yeah. And and let me add to that, that uh, not only when I am angry, am I not doing anything productive? I, 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 it does not feel good to me and it makes me less effective at communicating with other people because I have angry vibes coming off me, even, even if I'm not expressing them openly, um, then people are going to close off because they don't appreciate being attacked. Even if, even if the attack is completely nonverbal and, and just, and just in, you know, tension or expression or, you know, So, yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. In the mindfulness-based cognitive therapy program, there's a really brief mindfulness practice that's really just intended to support us in stepping out of automaticity and coming into our present moment. It's the three-step breathing process. And I always say to people, imagine like an hourglass. Mm -hmm. So the first step is, well, the first step is just like some acknowledgement that you're you're interested in stepping out of automaticity. So it could just be like straightening up a little bit or just like, and so the first step is awareness. Right. It's just like bringing awareness to what your present moment experience is, allowing the attention to scan the body, like what's in the body, what thoughts are present that you're aware of, any mood or emotion present. So giving yourself an opportunity to be like, how am I right now? Uh And then the second step is gather. So gather that attention and then narrow it to a particular place. So for example, it could be the sensations of breathing right in the belly. Uh So you're narrowing your attention for a few moments. Uh-huh. And then the third step is expand. So now expanding awareness back out to the, you know, you might still be aware of breathing, but also like the whole body. 
And so this isn't intended to fix or change anything, but what it does offer us is this opportunity to be like checking with ourselves. How am I right now? When we narrow, we kind of decenter or disengage a little bit from whatever might be going on, bringing our shifting our focus right to something very specific. And then we broaden and open back up. We've offered ourselves space and opportunity to be like, how do I want to be now? How do I want to respond in this moment? Right. Well, let, let me um, try an example on this because the, the podcast I did before, the one before last, uh, was, uh, was, again, me reading from my book, It's a Freaking Mess and uh, mm. <laughs> Divisive Times. And, yeah, it's a great book. <laughs> yeah, really helpful. Thank you. Um, and um, it, 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 it was all about, uh, this one was protect yourself from divisive influences in the media. And, you know, I, I wrote about how the media gains audiences through riling our emotions and yes. um, making us mad manufactures money for media moguls. Um, yeah. and, and it does. And one of my suggestions there was to, uh, to stop imbibing divisive media, you know, especially in the evenings before going to bed. Um, so, that, so that, that clearly is helpful. But let's just take, mm -hmm. use your example. I, 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 how would you apply the three steps? Let's say I, I go to bed and, and, I, and I'm, and I will go back to this example of waking up and, and mm -hmm. uh, feeling riled by something that's happened, which you learned about in the media, right? And right. could you just take us through the, the three steps? What would you do in that situation with those three steps? Could you just give an, an example, you know? Yeah. So I'd wake up and I'm like, oh, oh and I'm like, like, you know, fretting about something I read. Right. Okay. And, and then I want to come back to just the media in general. It's a very, uh, it was a very interesting chapter in your book. And so the first step I would do is like, I would just bring my attention to how I am. So I'm not paying attention to the content of my thinking. Right. I'm aware of the process of thinking. Right. So I would pay attention to my body and notice where I'm tense. And then instead of hanging on to the narrative or the story that I'm telling myself, because that keeps it going, yeah. I would be like, I would just be naming it. Oh, angry thoughts, frustrated thoughts. I would just be naming the fact that I'm thinking and maybe I'll label them. Oh, mad, angry thoughts. I might be labeling my emotions. Right, right. So I'm, I'm in my experience, but I'm a little, I'm not aloof. I'm not dissociated from it, but I'm able to observe it in a way. Yes. Right, I'm taking a bit of an observational stance from it. So then, so this is all part of awareness, right? This is all part of all. It's all happening yeah. in awareness. Okay, that's good. So this is step one, right? This is step one. It's all happening in awareness. Yeah. I'm, I'm noticing how I am, and again, it's like what happens when we like start to ruminate or get stuck in thoughts. We stay, we stay lost in the content, and that just keeps us spinning. Exactly. Spinning, yeah. spinning, spinning, spinning. So, yeah. so this is why this is where practice comes in handy, right? Because it's yeah. it's not automatic. This is new for us. Yeah. So yeah. we have to. There has to be some interest in disengaging. So when I start saying thinking, thinking, oh, angry, angry, I'm naming and noting my experience, but I'm mm -hmm. not necessarily continuing it. And then I'll intentionally narrow and shift my attention. Right. I'll come to breathing. Thoughts may pop up. 
thoughts will pop up. I recognize them. That's happening in awareness. I recognize how tenacious and sticky and compelling some thoughts are. I can feel that. I like the word sticky. Yeah, go on. <laughs> yeah. And then I bring my, I just, I just, no matter, you know, the practice is not just, people often think, oh, when we practice mindfulness, I stop my mind. I get asked so many times, how can I stop my mind? It's impossible. I, I, right. What we say to people is just put that off on the table. That's not going to happen. Right. It is possible to relate differently to what's going on in yes. our experience, though. So I'm choosing not to water those thoughts with the nourishing attention that I have. Okay. I'm taking back control of my attention, and I shift it, and I narrow it. Yes. And then I broaden. And I may need so to do that. Pause for a moment. So, so when, you're, when you've narrowed it... Um, you might be, for example, focusing on, and we use the example of breathing. Uh, so yeah. You might focus on uh, a particular part of your body, or a, or your breath, or yeah. what, what, what? Can you give me an example? anything? Yeah, yeah. So it could be. So one of the things that you know in mindfulness, a common practice is awareness of breath, and there's much about the breath that's very nourishing, and and breath related practices that are very helpful, and. And for many people and at different times, the breath is not neutral yep. and it's not comfortable. So it's not necessarily about the breath. Yep. It's about the attention and the attending. Yep. So anything in the present moment, yep. it could be some touch point, bringing your attention to your feet or your hands and just noticing the sensations there where they connect with, yes. you know, maybe you're feeling your feet on the bed or the warmth. Yep. Um, it could be something in your immediate experience that's in the present moment. So it could be sound. Yeah. So it's offering the mind mm -hmm. something to rest with and something to return to when you notice through awareness that the attention has shifted. Yes. Okay. Then step three, you, you're. So step three is, is expanding in your, you know, so you, you expand and then I just check in with how I am and it might be like, I'm feeling a little bit more rested oh, and what calm. Do you, what do you mean by expand? So you, let's say you're focused on your foot, right? And how it's... Right, so you've narrowed. Right. So you've narrowed. So when you, so when you expand, yeah. it's like now have a sense of the entire body. Yes. You're still aware of your foot. Yes. But ha hold the entire body in awareness. So you're aware of head to toe, front and back, sides, the dimensionality of the body. Yeah. So a bigger, a bigger um, sense of awareness. And you're just like broadening and if you know depending you may want to open your eyes and just like not in a fixed stare but just notice your surroundings aware of the sound yep so you're moving into a larger more spacious sense of awareness got it got it oh, th thank you buddy that's um i uh, really good to hear yeah and you you, yeah. you said you you had some more comments on on the uh the media and what it does to us. Yeah. So I think it's really helpful for us to know how our brains work, how our reward-based learning system works. One of um, Dr. Judson Brewer, who's at, who's at the Mindfulness Center at Brown, is an addiction psychiatrist. And yes. he really works with um, habits, conditioning, and how mindfulness and awareness practices can maybe hack that system. And so, one, I'm just aware that social media is in part intended to keep our attention, right? Yes. So our attention has been, is one under attack and 
too, has been commodified, right? Yes. So there's a lot grabbing on our attention. Yes, enormous. Enormous, that we're not aware of. So mindfulness for me is taking back control of my attention. Where we place our attention and what we focus on has a lot to do with our experience. Well, so, yeah. Yes. On. Well, what I was going to say was the uh, back to that that phrase that I used: um, "Making us mad manufactures money for media moguls." I mean, it, it's an amazing thought that um, getting me or anybody angry is making other people mo- money. Right. And that's as to your point: uh, the com- the commodification of of uh, use of our attention. Yeah. And of course, it's very the easiest way to get our attention is through the emotions of fear or anger. Right. And so, uh, and, and media generally and social media are, are extremely good at this. Yes. They have uh, behavioral psychologists on their staff that sort of design mm-hmm. how programming works and how, you know, um, yes. right. We can see how we like dip into just these glaring headlines Immediate yep. reactivity, amygdala is like setting off this danger, danger, threat, right? Yep. Now we're nervous. We need to keep coming back to see if it's been resolved. What, what else can we learn? What else do we know? And when we're not paying attention to it, we're doing that react, reactively. But when we're like, wait a minute, this is making me feel worse. I'm going to stop. Right. Right. Yes. And, and so um, you mentioned the amygdala and, and that the whole emotional circuitry of, of, of the brain. And it's just, it's just an interesting point. I know, I know you're very well aware of this, that, that once that emotional circuitry is going, then we're switched off from our higher intelligence. Right. And our ability to discern what's best. So, right. Yeah. Someone once des- I heard someone once describe it as, as, you know, as the brain has evolved and the prefrontal cortex is the most evolutionary part of the brain, came online last, right? Our executive functions, our reasoning. So last evolved, first offline. <laughs> and when it, go- oh, when so it goes true. offline, we're left with just emotional reactivity responding to our more primitive aspects of the brain that really has served us very well in terms of keeping us safe and detecting threat. But, you know, when it's three o'clock in the morning and I'm reading some social media feed, I can turn that off. I I just wrote down that phrase. I I love that. Last evolved, first offline. That's so, so true. Oh boy. Well, okay. So uh, another question about the media. Um, so what, one of the things that uh, also riles people in, in terms of this, there's how much media they, they consume. There's uh, not uh, consuming media late at night. But the third point is uh, avoiding, uh, these are the points that I, that I deal with in the book, um, avoiding reading or seeing or imbibing in any way divisive media. And that is tough because people are, um, and we were all get very attached to the kinds of media we like. Right. And we're also attracted to, uh, to the drama of, of anger and fear and how terrible these other people are. And so uh, 
do you have any thoughts about how mindfulness might be helpful in helping someone uh, choose a less divisive medium through which to understand what is happening in this world? Yeah, so, you know, really when we're practicing mindfulness, we're cultivating self-awareness, right? So we're cultivating self-awareness. And in doing that, as we engage in formal practice and informal practice, we're gaining and strengthening our capacity for attention control, this capacity to aim and direct and sustain and shift intentionally our attention. And we're also gaining capacity for emotion regulation, right? And I prefer to think of that more as emotional responsiveness. We're not intending to be like emotionless and cut off from our feelings. We're human beings and we want rich emotional lives, but we also want to be able to both express and relate to emotions in a way that feels more aligned with how and who we want to be. Yes. Um, so, So again, coming back to our experience, when we can just, if we're curious about this, we can be like, you know, we can pay attention to how we're reacting to the different media that we're just making an experiment. It's like roll up your sleeves, put on your lab coat and become a a scientist of your own reactivity. So it's like when I read some news feed that um, holds different views than me um, and I can experience myself getting all riled up, right? I get curious about that because it's like, why am I seeking this experience? You know, what's, you know, and it, and it, cause it can feel very good. I can get mad, right? I can, I can like, I can discharge this energy, my fear and my anxiety and my frustration. And it's like, well, this isn't how I want to feel. And then I would read, when I read news that really aligns with me, I'm like, I, I feel all good. It's like, yes, yes. And I can also pay attention to how I'm like, we're right. They're wrong. So I intentionally Um, created a practice for myself where I would try to identify like three news sources, one that I was clearly aligned with, one that I was not, and one that felt neutral. And tried to read something from each at a particular time each day. So I was limiting the amount of time that I was attending just because it's like, I, I realized for me as I have become more aware of what's important to me. I want to have meaningful conversations and I don't want to cut off communication and relationships. So it's like, wow, I really need to learn how to be with and listen to and hear opposing views without losing my cool. Yep. Great. Well, you mentioned curiosity and we're in the curiosity room right now. (laughs) Yes. And I've just been drinking my coffee actually. Anyway, um, yeah, I, I find this very fascinating and uh, I think so helpful, so, so helpful. Um, I, I got one uh, final question for you, and that is this. Um, actually, you've partly answered this already, but uh, uh, so it's a personal question. Can you say one thing, big or small, that has changed for you personally as a result of your lifelong study of mindfulness? Mm. One thing, there's there's many, but. (laughs) Yeah, let us choose one, yeah. (laughs) You know, what I, yeah, what I will say is I feel, um, I feel really connected with, with myself. 
Okay. You know, with the understanding that I'm growing and changing, but mindfulness, um, I, re- I feel really connected to myself, to others, and to my life. Like this is, you know, as best as I know right now, this is the only life I got. And I really want to be fully engaged in it um, and connected to people and myself. And mindfulness supports me in doing that because it helps me know when I'm like, like unconscious and on autopilot and reacting to something of my own imagining. Yes. I just, I just hearing you saying uh, connected to myself and I can, I can hear some people say, well, why is that important? But you, but you gave the answer to that because if you're connected to yourself, you can then connect to other people. Yeah. And if you're connected to yourself, you connect to the richness of life. Yeah. And if you're not connected to yourself, you actually cannot experience the richness of life or the richness of other people. And that, of course, affects your, <laughs> enormously reduces your experience of life. Right. So, so yeah. Well, Patty, I, I want to thank you very much. This, uh, I, I love talking to you. Uh-huh. And uh, it's, it's really uh, great hearing about uh, your practice of mindfulness and, and, and hearing from you about very clearly about how mindfulness works and, and what we can all do to, uh, to help ourselves during divisive times or during any times at all. Yeah. So, uh, yeah. Thank well, you. Yeah. And thank you, Richard, just for, for your book, but also for, for bringing these conversations into, into the world. Yeah. And for inviting me. Thank you. A pleasure. Okay. Yeah. Bye-bye. Bye. Take good care. Thanks for joining us in the Curiosity Room on this episode of Superpower Curiosity with Dr. Richard Gillette featuring Patty Holland. We want to hear what you think, and we're also putting together listener questions So if you have a question or comment for Richard, please send an email and or voice memo to superpowercuriosity at gmail.com. And it helps people find the show if you take a minute to rate, review, and subscribe to this podcast. Stay tuned to this feed. Our next episode is scheduled to come out in two weeks, so keep an eye out for episode 11. The Pleasure of Dropping Anger and How to Do It. Till next time, stay curious.